0: To turn over to First John four. First John four one through six. Uh, let's pray as we go to God and seek His favor as we turn to His Word. Our Father, we can't stand firm on our own. Uh, we don't have the strength or the wisdom to overcome the onslaught of falsehood that is uh, always coming against us. We come to you today in the name of Christ, who is our flesh in heaven, seated at your right hand, to ask that you would work by your spirit in this congregation to persist in the word of Christ. Help us, we pray, to listen to him as he speaks to us today through the word of his apostle John. May our faith be so bolstered, and may our hearts be strengthened in the confidence that we do know the Spirit of truth, thus we know that we abide in you and you in us, because of the Spirit that you have given to us. In the name of Christ we ask, Amen. amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read beginning in verse 19 of chapter 3. And read through verse 6 of chapter 4. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I worked for UPS, I worked for UPS in the the big hub in the Commerce City, Denver, Um, and sometimes I'd work something called the Sort Aisle, which all of the packages come off the trucks and onto this great big conveyor belt, and your job is to scan the package, and you have a little laser scanner and and print a a little label on the package, and the the, the label tells you where it's going, so the conveyor belt's here, and then behind you there's stacks of conveyor belts, too high and I forget six or eight wide and these conveyors go up and then they go in down into a chute and send the package on their way but um, at the top of the conveyor the chute the slide the metal slide is is um, angled like this so actually every conveyor belt is two conveyor belts because the package depending on which side the belt it's on will either slide this way or that way Every belt also is color coded. Each side has colors on it to tell you where everything's going. And so, this one belt might have black on the left and right, and, and, and white on the right. Um, and so, depending on where you want it to go, you put it on the left or the right side of the belt. I see John as helping the doubting soul. We're still in this context of the doubting soul um, sort through his or her confusion. And while it may feel muddled for us as the doubting soul at times, at the end of the day, everything tips to, to one slide or the other. In answering the question, do I know God? Which is the question we're wanting to answer. Do I have this fellowship with God, this life-giving fellowship with God? It's all either black or white. You, you either do or you do not have fellowship with God. And John's helping them sort this out. So he's asking these questions, "Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Well, that's the white slide. Do you love the brothers? Yes, that's white slide. Do you seek to obey Jesus? Yes, White side. Do you have the spirit? Yes. White side. This last one, this question about the spirit, is the one that John helps us work through today in this passage. Um, we saw last week at the end of the, the, the section, at the end of chapter 24, or chapter 3, verse 24, he said, And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit he has given us. So the Spirit in us is is the sign that we abide in God and he in us. And, and we can all sympathize that the, the doubting heart might say at that point, Well, I think I, I, think I do have the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Do do I how can I tell? I think John gives here the doubting heart essentially two uh, confirming evaluations, the external evaluation of the spirits, false spirits and their confession and true spirits as well. What is the spirit saying about Jesus? And an internal evaluation We look at ourselves, we look at at what we believe, our own creed. What do I believe about Jesus? So the external evaluation first, looking at the spirits and their confession. I'll just read again from 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So we have the Spirit as our confirming testimony that we know God, and now there's these false spirits we have to contend with as well that may deceive us. And what are these spirits that he talks about that he says to put to the test? He's saying, if you if you hear voices, and you can't tell if it's demonic or or from the Holy Spirit, or if you or if you see an apparition, you you grill the apparition and you say, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he came in the flesh? And the the, the spirit, the false spirit, says, ah, you have got me. I can't I can't sit I can't lie. Uh, In the the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin, he's a wild imagination, a little boy with a wild imagination, and he sometimes has interactions with the monsters under his bed. And one night he asks, are there any monsters under my bed tonight? And there's a chorus of, no, nope, no. (laughs) Calvin responds, if there were any monsters under the bed, how big would they be? Very small. Go to sleep. (laughs) see it's not just as simple as asking the forces of evil a sort of kryptonite question like a gotcha that's not his point and I bring that up to say that I think is a prevailing misapplication of this passage what I think he means by spirits is that anything that would posture as a source of divine revelation anything that might pretend to be a source of divine revelation, or in the case of the Holy Spirit, actually be a source of divine revelation. Um, And that is His job. The Spirit's job primarily is, especially in this context, giving the illumination and and, uh, dispensing divine revelation. So yes, that would include things like dreams, visions, impressions, encounters with spiritual beings or what the Bible calls divination, which it forbids. Um, those things are things that, that claim to be sources of revelation that are we should be wary of. But primarily John's focus is on teachers. This is how the spirits and the spirit works is through teachers, through doctrine. People who put themselves forward as as people who say, Thus saith the Lord. That's why he says test the spirits for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See this connection also in chapter 2 verse 27 is very strong between the spirit and doctrine 2:27 uh, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it taught you abide in him. So I think the imperative to test the spirits is to weigh claims of divine revelation, to be discerning. Proverbs 14, 15 says that the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. To think about, we're to be discerning, we're not to be gullible. Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9, says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So, just because somebody is a prophet or a diviner and has some kind of special insight, it doesn't mean that they come from the Lord. It doesn't mean they speak from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 7, Jesus says something very similar. Verse 15, he says, Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In chapter 2, we learn about this Antichrist figure who is the, the prophesied from Daniel, the prophesied in-time opponent of Christ and his people. And he's also, we, we learn, one who will also wants to not just oppose Christ, but stand in as a substitute for Christ, an alternate Christ. So likely there, there will be a person who is the Antichrist, but there's also these Antichrists, plural, that have already come into the world and, and the prophecy of Daniel has begun to be fulfilled because the spirit of the Antichrist is already active in the world. So it's no surprise that he who is the opponent of Christ and his people who asserts himself as an alternate Christ is animated by a spirit who, who functions as a, an alternate spirit, a, a deceptive spirit. Verse 3 again, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. So the test that John gives us is doctrinal, it's confessional. If the people coming to you in the name of the Lord or any form of of supposed revelation coming to you in the name of the Lord with with authority, with, with divine revelation tell you anything that contradicts or disavows in this case the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. They are speaking according to the spirit of error. The issue at hand in John and First John was this sort of protognostic or docetic teaching that matter is evil and spirit is good, and so we can't have God becoming flesh. That that's anathema. So what if God were he just took on a phantom body, a sort of Apparition. That's docetism. Um, so he's not, he didn't really come in the flesh. For John, the, the issue of the incarnation is not small, it's not merely theoretical, it's not a question just for pastors or, or academics. All of the early church heresies about Jesus were heresies because they got this question wrong about the, the relationship between the divine and human natures of Jesus. And for John, this issue of the Incarnation is, is not up for debate. It's a black side, white side issue. In our own day, of course, we have any number of, of deceptive teachings about Jesus and His humanity. The Muslims, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Oneness, Pentecostals, Unitarians. They, they all get this... Dead wrong. We have to be reminded that Jesus had to be a man, like as we are, yet without sin, in order to live under the law on our behalf, in order to die in our stead, or um, to be reigning as, as the king, David's promised king on the throne, or, or in order to intercede on our behalf as our mediator. Or in order to play the part of the second Adam, any number of things, we could go on and on. He has to be flesh and blood for the gospel to work, to make sense. And the denial of the incarnation is a denial of the faith. So to be a little bit anachronistic. This is kind of like the Christianity and liberalism of of the day. It's believe it if you want, but don't call it Christian. And also, please, if you're going to believe that, please do not claim to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit and put yourself forward as a teacher from God. Here's what I noticed as I, I'm studying this, is that interpreters tended to want to expand this in a variety of ways, this test, um, because they recognize that this can't be it. There has to be a lot more than this one test to test the spirits. There are other, a lot of other black side, white side kind of issues with which we can test, test the spirits. For example, 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the uh, incarnation of Christ that serves this function, but also uh, the lordship of Christ. So we need to understand John is not intending to give an exhaustive test of how to test the spirits. Instead, we have to understand that this command is coming um, to test the spirits co- is coming in the context of reassuring the disquieted heart that we see in, in chapter 3, verse 19. To which, he says, the knowledge of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us in verse 24 of chapter 3 is a soothing balm to our conscience. That's the context of testing the spirits. He's saying, in effect, take confidence in the fact that you have the Spirit of God. And what further proof could you want that you have fellowship with God than that you have the Holy Spirit? But John warns, he says, don't be gullible. Not everyone who says they speak from the Spirit actually does. Be discerning. And if they deny fundamental tenets of the gospel, odds are they're not speaking from the Spirit. I think we need to take a step back and and understand what the implications of what John is saying. I think in particular in our day, there are all kinds of ways proposed to know the presence of the Holy Spirit. It could be feeling His presence in a particular kind of way. (coughs) It could be certain experiences in worship, in our devotional times. That's really the Spirit. The Spirit's moving maybe signs and wonders, extraordinary gifts. But where does John point us to when he wants to talk about the verifying activity of the Holy Spirit? He points to confession, to doctrine, to the truth. It's, in one sense, very simple. Is it true or is it not? If it's not true, it's not from the Holy Spirit. So I think the takeaway is, especially for the condemning heart and context, seeking comfort, The knowledge of the Holy Spirit is to look at your own confession. Do you believe and confess the fundamental doctrines of the biblical faith? If you do, you can take heart and be assured because those don't come from anywhere but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. In verses 4 through 6, he turns to the internal evaluation, to the confirmation of the Spirit's presence. Not only is our confession spiritual, but also our own internal creed or beliefs conform to that confession. In other words, we can't just say it, we have to believe it. Which assures us, again, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. (coughs) John opens this section with, what is by now a very familiar form of address to us, little children, reminding them of their his view of their status in his mind is as Christians. He says, "You are from God." The emphasis is on the "you." You, despite them, you are from God. He places them. He places that package on the white side. You, you are from God. He affirms them, despite. Their apparent doubts. You are from God. You are born of God. You are children of God. You abide in God and He in you. And why? How does He know that? Why does He say that? Well, he sees something in the fact that they have not given in to the pressures of their opponent. <coughs> he says, You have overcome them. The Greek word Nike, from which brand nike is from or uh, the goddess nike the goddess of victory you have you have achieved victory you have overcome them them namely being the antichrist the false prophets the spirits who are not from god this idea of overcoming that he puts in here suggests that there is something to overcome and it's not just well you have chosen wisely or you have made a good decision but you have surmounted the trials and the opposition that has come up against you. You've gained victory over the spiritual forces of evil that are assailing you. You may feel weak, you may be assailed with these doubts, but against these opposing gales, you are persisting in your belief in Jesus born in the flesh. You have overcome. He says something very similar in <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 4. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith has overcome the world. And how does persistent Faith prevail against the spiritual forces of evil? Is it is it by being a sort of uh ethical, philosophical, heavyweight, superstar Christian? Or is it by your own strength and resolve that the sort of uh tough mutter you're familiar with this race? Is that the kind of that they they've overcome because they're so strong and and they have so much endurance in themselves? Certainly, we won't overcome without resolve. No one summits a mountain or conquers an enemy through laziness. But where does that persistence come from? He says, you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So persistence in faith to the point of victory to overcoming these evil ones Is not the strength of a person, but the strength of God who inhabits the person. And our doubting heart will always accuse, you're too weak, you're too sinful, you're too faithless. You can look at your own life, feeble or strong as your efforts may feel, and you can say, I assume I still believe. Despite it all, I still believe. John says, victor, overcomer, by believing. Still, despite it all, you have overcome. This opposition is, is very great. The spirit of the Antichrist is very strong. False teaching is not a joke. Luther spoke about it in the hymn we just sang. About, about the, our enemy. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Think of you just to go out on the streets and say, just that last line, on earth is not his equal. Who is that talking about in that hymn? People would say, God. He's talking about our enemy. We are not equal to him. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The only reason you still believe and really believe against the odds is that the Spirit of God is living, working, and sustaining the faith that is within you. John continues to explain further here by sorting out uh, the false teachers from apostolic teachers. In verse 5. He says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We, he's talking about the apostles, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. The world listens to the world. God's people listen to the apostles. Jesus echoes this, his words in John 10. He says in verses 24 through 29. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, you you, are not my sheep because you do not believe. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So the world listens to the world and only the world. And their, their ears are stopped and they cannot hear the voice of the Master. And to the, to the world, the wisdom of the world sounds so good. It's like the confirmation bias. Aha, yes, that does sound good. That, that resonates with me. That makes total sense. But to those who are of God, they hear the master's voice. They hear the shepherd's voice. And they hear it as well as he speaks to them by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostolic witnesses that he commissioned as his mouthpieces. Um, He says in John 15, Jesus does to his disciples. In verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours. So understanding all this together, the question John is asking in our passage is not, how do we become sheep? We, We become sheep because the Father gives us to the shepherd, according to John 10. The question John is asking is, how do I know I am a sheep? And the basic answer is you listen to the voice of Jesus. You listen, in the case of 1 John, to what Jesus has spoken through his apostolic messengers. Seems so simple and so obvious, and yet we see all around, even in the church, a questioning of the truthfulness and authority of the Bible as the very word of God. Paul is helpful here. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. We know He has chosen you. We know He has given you as sheep to to the shepherd. How? Verse 5, Because our gospel has come to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction he adds just a little bit later in chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So Paul knew it about the Thessalonians. John knew it about his readers. We can know it about ourselves. He says, by this, We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of answers, uh, error. By, by who you listen to. Do you listen to the shepherd's voice? The voice of Christ, our shepherd, can be heard in the spirit inspired voice of the apostles. In other words, we listen to the Bible. This is the foundation of the Reformation principle of sola scriptura. The Pope has no authority outside the confines of Scripture. Tradition cannot undermine Christian doctrine. There's just so many voices out there that claim to possess some kind of divine or spiritual authority. There are dreamers, claims to or Right now, I, I've noticed, and this is probably not new, but people there, there's there's uh, more people talking about um, having spiritual experiences through psychedelic drugs. That, that this is for them a some sort of source of spiritual uh, revelation. For people who practice uh, again what the Bible calls divination, interacting with the spirit world, all of these things that are, are fundamentally gnostic. In nature, which is what John is dealing with, this higher knowledge or higher form of superior spirituality. And John, instead, turns our attention to the simple and beautiful apostolic gospel. Do you believe the apostolic gospel? Do you listen to, are you discipled by Christ's apostles? Going through Acts right now and devotions for the school boys' devotions I'm teaching. And I asked the the guys, do we have apostles today? Of course, we have a variety of of uh, traditions in that group and have different answers, but the ultimate point I wanna make and always want to make is yes, we have apostles. They're the same apostles that they're in the Bible. They're our apostles, they're the foundation. Do you listen to them? Do you hear Christ's voice in the Bible? If you do, you may be confident that you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the question in verse 24. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And does that confirm to you that you have fellowship with God? Real, life-giving fellowship with God. I just want to close. We'll... Give Paul the last word here. We'll turn to Romans ten. <coughs> this is a, a helpful summary of what we're saying here, what John is saying. I suppose it's longer than what John is saying, so it's an expansion, not a summary. Romans ten, six through seventeen. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to, to heaven? that is to bring to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard?